So even though today will be our first week in Nahum, I want you to start off with me. Because I'm going to have you do a little flipping today. But it's important that we see it. This is definitely a, a star-aligning, dot-connecting moment for our church. A lot of phenomenal, mind-blowing moments in Scripture. So I want you to work a little today. If you don't have a Bible, there's black heart ones around you. Go grab one. Not even if it's right in front of you. Ask your neighbor to hand it to you. I want your Bibles open. Some aha moments this morning in God's Word. Go to Matthew. We're going to start off here. We're going to read some verses from Matthew. Some verses that we've read many times in Matthew 6. We're going to pray. We are going to jump in. So here's the question. If you are a journaler or you just want to know where we're going to be at so you can stay focused because we're going to be around for a minute. If you need to be anchored somewhere, this is where you're anchored. How does the Old Testament story impact the New Testament truth? Which hopefully pours into your current personal story. How does the Old Testament connect to the New Testament connected to your story? So I'm going to read a verse that a lot of us have read many times. This is a New Testament story. This is a New Testament moment. Jesus' word is Sermon in the Mount about do not worry. Do not be anxious. As Ryan said, trust the Lord. This is Matthew 6, 25-34. Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry. So many of us in this room, we have different anxieties, different fears, different worries. Our minds are in a lot of different spaces this morning. So much so that it might be even hard for you to concentrate. But the Lord says, do not worry. About what? Your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit, one second of life to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither toil nor spin. And yet they say to you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. I like that. Of you of little faith. Therefore, church, Eastview, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Last verse, hang with me. Grant Evans, come on up here, brother, wherever you are. You're going to pray for us. Therefore, man, I said Grant's name. His Bible was open. That was good news. 
says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own thing. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. A great word from a New Testament moment that you and I have heard that's going to be given power by an Old Testament truth this morning. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, and um, thank you for allowing everyone to come out here this morning, and pray for Brother Hunter as he preaches his word this morning. And uh, pray for the unsaved people that are here this morning, and pray that they hear this word, and um, they're saved this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Do not worry. Let's go to Nahum 1. Nahum 1. It is near the end of the Old Testament. You'll pass it very quickly. If you don't know where you're going, it's about one or two pages. Five chapters in. Three chapters in. We are only going to be in verse 1 this morning. But there's a lot there. What is God telling us that you and I can speak on for 30, 40 minutes today in approximately 10 words in one verse in a book that we know very little about? Nahum 1 1 says this The burden against Nineveh, so that tells us a lot. The hardship, the struggles, the burden against Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkoshite. Now, Nahum is another one of the minor prophets with a major word from the Old Testament. So Nahum is much like Micah. If you've been here, we just went through a study for about seven, eight weeks in Micah. God was very good to us. That was uncharted waters, and we were just blessed by this word. We saw the goodness of God. It was powerful for us. I want you to think of the book of Nahum very much like the book of Micah, much like the book of Jonah, much like the book of Habakkuk, in which if you have been at this church, we've done all of them. This is the last one of the four minor prophets that are connected beginning at the very end of the Old Testament. As I said, these are uncharted scriptures for a lot of us, maybe even more uncharted than Micah. At least most people probably guess that Micah was someone's name. When I was talking to people about Nahum, they were like, oh, you just did Micah and you've been brave enough to do Nahum now. And they are like, I don't even know if Nahum is a place, a person, a, a word with meaning. I don't even know what it is. So this might be even more uncharted than the norm. It is a man's name. So a man's name literally in the Greek and Hebrew origin means comforter. So the word Nahum, it means comforter. And when he says that I am one of the Elkoshites, that is the clan that he lives with. That's like you and I standing up going, my name is Hunter and I'm an American. So he goes, listen, this is my name. It means comforter and these are my people. Now at this point in Nahum, Nahum is an older man. And he is speaking to a specific group of people, and that is the people of Nineveh. Now he's speaking to all of Nineveh, but the emphasis of this book are the people who live in Nineveh, in the capital city, which is the Assyrians. You remember the Assyrians from Micah? It is the bad news bears, there are some rough groups, there are some Vikings, right? 
They eat wood for breakfast and kill babies by lunch. I mean, like, these are the kind of people who have horror stories connected to their origin and life. This is where the Assyrian Empire was, as in today's Iraq. And even though Nahum means comforter, and even though he is an older man and wise, and you would think very peaceful and calm-natured, my man is bringing it more fiercely than even Micah. There is no comfort behind his words. He has anything but that for the people of Nineveh. Now I want you to get your hand. I was telling Amanda, she loves history, and I like talking to her about biblical history. This is some dots connecting, stars aligning moments. I want you to get your hand on the light switch, because here is a light bulb moment. One to which we will see God's sovereignty, His control. We will see His power, His majesty. We will see His omnipresence, Him being in all spaces and all times at the same moment. It's one of those moments that we will see just in verse 1. Here's some questions that I want you to work through. Where is Nineveh? Where is Nineveh? Where have we heard of Nineveh before? Why is he speaking to the Assyrians? How are all of these books connected? These books that we had very little knowledge of. Is Nahum connected to Micah? Is it connected to Jonah? Is Jonah connected to Habakkuk? Are these minor prophets, are they standalone books? Or is there a much higher arching story being told? Why such direct warning and harshness to these people? Do you remember Micah? told you, you got some work to do, but it's only one or two pages before Nahum. Go to Micah. I want you to see it. Go to Micah 2. Now, I don't think Miss Ellen is here with us today. I, I don't see her, but she came up to me and she said, I really pray because I love Micah. I don't want to forget this book. So if you have... If you have already kind of forgotten the theme of Micah, remember, Micah is God speaking through this Old Testament prophet about the broken covenant between God and His people. Remember? So this is God's covenant back from Abraham with His chosen people. And Micah looks at him and says, Hey, you are God's chosen people, but you are acting like anything but it. You are heathens. You are living for the world. And this is what God's going to do. Hang with me. God is going to allow correction. Correction is coming. I'm not going to shield it. I'm going to allow correction on my chosen people because of the broken covenant. Do you remember that in Micah? Now go to Micah 2. Some aha moments, guys. Stay with me. I had a lot of moments. I was back there in my office this week just looking around like, does anybody else see this? Because my mind was blown. Look at Micah 2, 1 through 5. This will refresh some memories if you have been here. Micah says, Woe to those who devise iniquities, talking to Israel, and work out evil from their bed. So from the moment they wake up, you're doing foolishness. At the morning light they practice it, because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and take them by violence, also houses and seize them, so they oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. Do you remember this? Therefore says the Lord, Behold, 
Against this family, I am devising disaster. He's going to allow correction to his people. Look at this. From which you cannot remove from your necks. It's coming. Do you remember Micah's words? Nor shall you walk haughtily, for this is an evil time. In that day, one shall take up a proverb against you, a lament with a bitter lamentation, saying, We are utterly destroyed. He has changed the heritage of my people. How he has removed it from me to a turncoat, he has divided our fields. Therefore, you will have no one to determine boundaries by lot in the assembly of the Lord. So here is this moment. That in Micah, God tells His people that He is going to allow correction by what means? By sickness, by corona, by lack of resources or finances? No. He says, I'm going to allow the Assyrians to correct your foolishness. You remember this? No, remember, go to 5. Micah 5. Dots connecting, church. Go to Micah 5. 2 through 9. But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler of Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. He's talking about the coming Jesus. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then there is a remnant of his brothers, and shall return the children of Israel. I like this. 4 through 6, if you didn't already. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and the one shall be peace. Now listen, this is Micah, this is before Nahum, this is the moment that he is speaking to them about the allowed correction when the Assyrians come into our land. You see this? This is big and powerful. This is the 1% that understands this. Uncharted water that you and I didn't know existed. Micah goes, hey, you're acting foolish. And this is going to be corrected by the Assyrians. He says this before the event happens. When the Assyrians come into our land, and when he treads into our palaces, then we will rise against him. Seven shepherds and the eight princely men. They shall waste with the sword the land of Assyria and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. Thus he shall deliver us from the Assyrians. And when he comes into our land and when he treads within our borders, hang with me, church, then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass that are tarried for no man, nor wait for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many people, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep who will pass through, but treads down and tears into pieces, and none can deliver. One last verse. Your hand shall be lifted against your adversaries, and all of your enemies shall be cut off. Micah 2. You are God's people, but you are not showing it. And I, my patience has run thin. You have not heeded my warning. I'm stepping aside. Correction will come through the Assyrians, chapter 5, but you're still my people. 
And even though I will correct your foolishness, you will still rise up. Because I am a good, merciful, graceful Father. So what does this mean for our study? What are we seeing, church? Hang with me. What are we seeing in Micah 2, Micah 5, and Nahum, the burden against these people? Nahum ends historically where Micah, Nahum begins where Micah ends. And from Micah's perspective, he is speaking to Israel about the coming correction. Hey, Nahum is speaking to the Syrians about the sins against God's chosen people. So what does this mean for us? What you and I are looking at in Micah and Nahum is we are seeing the same moment in history from two different vantage points. Is this not amazing to you? It is awesome. Have we ever said this? It is awesome. We are seeing the same moment in history from two different perspectives, for two different reasons, simultaneously for our good and His glory. We are seeing that God has a plan for Israel using Micah, but He also has a plan for the wickedness and evil for His good through the Assyrians. We are seeing God's sovereignty on paper. We are seeing His power. We are seeing it from different vantage points. Celia, put up that slide with the dates on it. Jonah. Remember this. I don't want to go to Nineveh. I don't want to go to these heathen people. Do you remember this from BBS? And the fish swallows them up. I don't want to go to these people. I don't like these people. These people are a bunch of hooligans. Now we know why. These are the people. And he goes and he preaches the word and all these people love the Lord and they repent, but in generations they fell again. So we have Jonah 760 years before Christ. He comes out of the well, he preaches the good word of God, people come to know him. Fast forward 735 years before Christ, we get a different vantage point, same area and territory. Micah goes, Israel, you are foolish and the Assyrians are coming. Fast forward again. 797 years, 697 years before Christ, Nahum goes, hey, listen, you got the word from Jonah. You saw the moment in Micah. The Lord has lost patience. I'm going to use your wickedness for my good, but I'm still going to punish with what you did to my people. You are seeing in Scripture the 1%. You are seeing sovereignty. You are seeing control. You are seeing God's multifaceted plan. You are witnessing omnipresence. Now listen to me, because I know that I might be a little bit more excited than you. I've been in this book for about three months now. And I am seeing this new story that I didn't really know much about, but I hope your mind stars are aligning some. God is using Jonah, this one man. He is working through Jonah in his life. He's walking with this man while also revealing himself to the whole people of Nineveh. God uses this small town country boy in Micah for 60 some odd years of ministry under three kings. Remember Eastview? Three different kings, three different sets. He uses this small town country boy to also share the word of God, to word, to warn God's chosen people and also forecast God's coming. 100 years, approximately. 
A hundred years after Jonah, Nahum looks at the same people and goes, Hey, I've given you every opportunity. I've given you every opportunity. You've heard the word. You know the story. I've made Jonah come against his good wants. You followed me, but through generations you fell again. And there is no more patience. There is no more time. God's plan, God's plan is much bigger than you and I realize. Right now in your life, you are the main star at the same time you're the supporting cast. At the same time, David Evans is living in a world where God is walking with him, him and God, but at the same time, God is using David Evans for other purposes that have nothing to do with what he's exactly doing with David. David is a subset and also the main star of the story of God doing in his life. And this is just, just verse 1. I want you just to hear these verses about God's power and His multi-faceted plan and His omnipresence and His sovereignty. Listen to these verses as I read them to you. Proverbs 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Jeremiah 23, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not feel heaven and earth, says the Lord? Psalms 139, I love this. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, then you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, guess what? You are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, guess what? You will lead me and are there, and at the right hand shall hold me. Colossians 1.17 And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. God's plan, when we look at Nahum, and when we look at Scripture, and when it pours into us, God's plan is so much larger than we realize. So much more grand, so many more pieces than we can even grasp. All for His glory, all for our good. This week I was so psyched up about what you are seeing right there, these timelines and how everything is interconnected and how everything is playing off one another, how God is doing something over here at the same time over here, multifaceted, omnipresence. My mind was blown. And I talked to another pastor and I said, Brother, do you know anything about Nahum? Because he asked me, Where are you going to be this Sunday, Hunter? I said, Nahum. He goes, Okay, Nahum. I said, You ever preached out of Nahum 20 years in this game? He goes, Never once. Not a Sunday school, not a Wednesday night, not a Sunday night, not a Sunday morning, not a devotion, not a prayer with my kids. He goes, If anything, I'm kind of purposely avoided it at times. And I'm not judging the man. I haven't ran after it. It's not like I'm coming with a big backing full of Nahum studies. But I look at him and I'm sorry, pouring into all of these things that I'm seeing from these minor prophets. And I go, do you see this? And he's like, yeah, man, that is amazing. Listen to me. The Old Testament, the Old Testament story gives power to the truth, to the New Testament story, which overflows to give assurance into your story. 
What we see for all those people who go, man, the New Old Testament is scary and I don't get it and it's overwhelming, it's too hard to understand. I want the New Testament. God is good, you can do it. But the reality is, the New Testament truth, the gospel, the goodness of Jesus, all of those verses that fill our spirit, man, without the Old Testament, it lacks power. We need all Scripture. And man, when you get the Old Testament in the power of God, it gives power to the truth of the New Testament. For example, go back to Matthew. Go back to Matthew to the verse we started in before Grant prayed for us. Let's take this new story in Nahum, this new understanding, this new foundation, this new message of the power of God... And let's see what happens when we take the magnitude of who God is and feed Scripture that we've heard a million times. Look at Matthew 6. We're not going to read all the verses. We've already done that. We're going to read two of them. And try to remember the others. Look at 25 through 26. When my brother Philip here is struggling and he's worried, I I send him these verses. Someone has sent you a blog talking about, hey, trust God. He is good. He is powerful. You have heard these verses a million times in our depression, in our anxiety, in our fear, in our worry. But look at this. Look at 25 and 26. Fueled by Nahum. Therefore I say to you, do not worry. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on it. Is not life more than food? And is it not more than body and clothing? Look at the birds in the air. For they neither sow nor they either reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? Now, unless you have very little knowledge of Scripture, these are all verses that you have read and you have heard sermons on many times. Have faith in God. Turn your frown upside down. God has this. Trust Him. But the truth is, man, that is easier said than done. Like, I'm scared of dying. Like, I worry about something bad happening to my kids. And I walk with my children. I got four of them, man. Just playing the percentage game, one of them's going left. Like, it's hard to look at family and look at job and look at money and look at mind and look at marriage and go, man, how do I keep this all together? And you read verses, hey, Hunter, don't worry about it. You know, well, how do I not worry? How do I not fear? How do I not become scared? But seeing the power, the glory, the sovereignty of His plan to the truth of the Old Testament, omnipresent power of God, far-reaching out in front of you, how everything is connected, man, faith and trust becomes a little bit easier. By understanding that God has been working for His glory and your good since the beginning of time makes you feel more at ease in trusting concerning your everyday walk. Guys, if we grasp the fact, hang with me, if we grasp the fact that God split the seas for Moses, 
and that he shut the mouths of lions for Daniel, that he provided a lamb for Abraham, that he kept Job alive, that he crushed the enemies of his people, then it is easier to believe and rest in assurance and peace that he has a plan for your kids. But man, when I just send Philip a verse, well, hey, bro, don't worry. God is big. God is good. He has this. Very few times in my life have I ever received a message back going, hey, good point. Haven't thought about it. How many times I've been on my floor and my knees with, with tears in my eyes going, man, God, I'm worried. I am scared. I am anxious. Like, do you have this? But man, when you see the Word and the backing and the power of God's far-reaching plan. When someone says God has this and reminds you of this and you know this, it becomes easier. We spoke on Wednesday night. Here's my plug for it. In an awesome Wednesday night series concerning who is God. God has been so good to us there. And we said this on Wednesday night just this week that our stress that our worry, that our anxieties is a direct reflection of our lack of trust and faith in God. And you go, well, Hunter, it's chemically imbalanced. I get you're chemically imbalanced all day. I understand all of those things. When we worry and we stress, we are verbalizing to the Lord. I don't know if you got this. And our lack of faith and our lack of trust and our anxieties and fears and worries, they don't come out of nowhere. They are born in our lack of closeness with God, who God is, when we fail to realize that God created the universe. That God desired you into existence. He wanted Hannah Chumney, so guess what? We got Hannah Chumney. He desired her and all of you into existence. He holds every moment in his hands. Do you think he's stumped with your life? Like, do you think he's puzzled with your marriage? Do you think he's perplexed with your children or your money or your mind? From the beginning of time, God has handled this with ease. And the Old Testament is given to you and I to show us His far-reaching plan on how He has done things phenomenally and perfectly the way that He designed them to be. I want you to see it, church. As I said, we are just one verse. Just one single verse in Nahum. Nahum says, For the burden of my people. For the burden of Nineveh. I want you to see this. Jonah and Micah, Habakkuk, Nahum, they are faithful. They are bold. But they are still one-track minded. Hang with me. We're, we're closing soon. We have these phenomenally awesome, gifted men who have been used by God. I mean, their names in the Bible. Very few of us in this room have a book in God's Word. They are phenomenally faithful and bold, but they are still one-track minded. Jonah had no idea that after his life, that his word would be preached to thousands for thousands of the years to come. He had no clue. Micah had no idea. Micah had no idea that his words through God would be framed and standing above Lawrence Stoney's bedroom. Had no idea that. Nahum had no clue that we would come together in April of 2011 in Huntington, Tennessee to preach a book 
after him so the people of Eastview could see God's power and his glory and his sovereignty and his omnipresence to increase our faith and trust? No. To Jonah, to Micah, to Nahum, all they saw was Israel. Hang with me. Like all they saw was Israel. All they saw was Nineveh. All they saw was the Assyrians. But it was never about that. It was always about universal growth. To them, for us. To bring people closer to God. Simultaneously, by any means necessary. I love this thought. In Brad Douglas' life... Right now, in the same moment, think about your life, your existence. In Brad Douglas's life, God is growing, God is blessing, God is using, God is correcting, God is pruning, all at the same time. And what our job is in the midst of this is to love Him and trust Him and that His plan is good and that He has control of this. Our last verses of the day, you don't have to flip. I just want you to hear them. This is on God's power and His majesty and His sovereignty and His goodness concerning His plan for us. 1 Peter 5, 6-7 says this, Therefore humble yourselves. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, Casting all your care upon Him because He cares for you. Not us, not them, you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, under His plan, under His sovereignty, under His goodness, under His care because why? Because He cares for you. As we close, and there's a reason that we didn't get past verse 1 because I was so amazed by just the moment and the culture and the history of this moment. As we close, we are called to trust, to lay our anxieties, lay our worries, our fears, our concerns, because God is powerful. Because His ability literally defines perfection. But when we read Peter, it's more than power, it's more than perfection. He does all of this. Why? Because He cares for us. Not only do our anxieties and fears, church, reflect our lack of trust, it reflects our blindness to the cross. All through Scripture, every book shows God's love, His plan, His goodness, His sovereignty, His power, all connected to His love of His creation. Everything in Scripture, the minor prophets, the gospel, the cross, Easter, Christmas, Revelations, Genesis, everything points to the goodness of God, which directly reflects to His love for you and I. And man, when you see it, when your knowledge and your understanding of God is not just a box check, not just surface level, but you have seen His plan early from the uncharted waters, and you have seen Him split the waters and shut the mouths and take care of the enemies, the bad for the good, when you have seen His wonderful plan come to life on paper, your life today... Old Testament, New Testament, your story. It all takes place. God has a plan for your life. And nothing is going to deter it. 
God will use evil for good. He will use your life for His plan. God has this. Your family is not out of hand. Your kids are not out of hand. Your life is not out of His hands. Trust Him. Why? Because He is perfect. Because He is powerful. And because He cares for you. Nahum is a type of uncharted waters that very few of us have ventured into. As I spent time this week, the one thing that pressed on to me is from the beginning. Page one. Page one. We are given evidence to assure us that God has us. And He is worthy to be trusted. He is worthy to follow. He is worthy to love. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank You for today. Lord, as we just slowly jump into this book, not even past the first verse, ten words in, Your first verse preaches a sermon. That first verse of this is who this man is might not mean to much, but man, when you get the shovels out and you dig, you see something greater. You see that your plan has strength to it. That your plan has love to it. That your plan has a historical relevance to you and I. This was about Israel. And this was about Nineveh. And this was about Judah. And it was about Micah. And it was about Nineveh and the Assyrians. But it was also about us. When we see how you have taken everything that has happened in history for our good and your glory is supposed to pour into us, Lord, and I pray that it does, that you have this, that you have a plan, and that we should rest in peace with knowing this. If anyone here today is filled with anxiety, if they are filled with worry, if they are filled with stress, Lord, I pray that from this morning, what they see besides just the historical relevance of how the stars align, I I pray that they see that you have mastered the universe from the beginning of time, that their life is not stumped by you. That you have this under control. And I pray when they see your hand in the story of Nahum in only the first verse, I pray that they rest more easily. That they trust more boldly. That they have a life-changing faith starting today. If someone does not know you, I pray that in this they see your realness. They give their lives to you and today is the day they begin to follow. In your precious, in your holy name, the church says, Amen.